0: Hey everyone, it is Friday, July 29th. I'm Mo Tuanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast as we head into another summer weekend. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We try to read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. A couple notable things on this July 29th. It's the 64th birthday of NASA. Happy birthday to the astronauts uh, here on land and orbiting to us above. And today is National Chicken Wing Day, declared for the first time 45 years ago by the mayor of buffalo lots of discounts and freebies out there this friday if you're a wing fan a great way to start the weekend but let's get started today with the headlines new economic numbers are out that show the u.s is in a recession or are we we'll bring you the debate and what it actually means instagram is backtracking on some of the major changes that had it mimicking tiktok after all of your criticism we'll have more on that Also, what the latest airline merger may mean for prices and some good news on that front, according to new ticket data. And we end with our cheers to the freaking weekend section, our weekly look at what we're watching, eating, reading, and a special edition listening to this weekend. Okay, let's get started with economic numbers. This was report card week for the U.S. economy, and we learned Thursday that GDP, gross domestic product, which ostensibly is the U.S. economy, shrank for the second straight quarter between April and June, and it has ignited a war of words. So the GDP has contracted just under 1% between April 1st and June 30th. We also saw a contraction between January and March, two straight quarters where the U.S. economy essentially got smaller. So what does that mean? Well, some economists look at two straight quarters of a contracting economy as a quote, technical recession. Personal consumption, the biggest part of the economy, decelerated. That's created quite a headache for President Biden, who says actually not so fast, we're not in a recession. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. The president and a number of economists actually are pushing back on the assertion that we are in a recession. They point to essentially what we call the recession referees. It's an organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research. They are the ones who officially determine whether the US is in a recession, the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER for short. You'll be hearing a lot about them. They're an independent group and they do an assessment and it's a bunch of economists And they don't follow the two negative quarters rule for recession. They actually look at a number of other factors beyond economic growth. They take into account unemployment, which still happens to be at a record low here in the US, as well as things like industrial production, which also still happens to be pretty high. So rest assured, until the NBER, the uh, recession referees, we're going to keep calling them, uh, make a call, and that couldn't happen months from now, you're going to continue to hear this debate, especially as we go into midterm elections this fall. Either way, the Federal Reserve is trying to slow down the economy so consumers buy less and prices can come down. They're trying to stop runaway inflation. How do you stop inflation? You slow down the economy by raising interest rates. So the uh, numbers that we saw... Thursday, actually is part of the plan of them trying to slow down the economy, but not slow down the economy so much that we get into, yes, a recession. So whether we're in one or not, you're going to continue to hear that debated. The Fed will continue to slow down the economy. Remember, on Wednesday, they raised interest rates again. Expect them to continue to do that throughout the fall. The concern is if they raise it too much, the slowdown will turn into an actual long term recession. Remember, if this continues, companies will start to lay off workers, and you'll start to see other traditional metrics for a slowing down of the economy and recession go up. But for now, if it's any indication, the stock market was up on Thursday out of the GDP news. Wall Street, it turns out, was betting on a slowing economy. Okay, let's head abroad here. The U.S. got a new warning from China on Thursday as we're continuing to watch whether U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi visits the island of Taiwan. In a phone call with President Biden, Chinese leader Xi Jinping warned against playing with, quote, fire over Taiwan. He has concerns about the possible visit to the Chinese claimed island by Pelosi. In that phone call, this is according to Chinese media here, she reportedly told Biden, quote, those who play with fire will perish by it. It is hoped that the U.S. will be clear eyed about this. At the same time, China has given few specific clues as to what they'll do beyond these warnings. The U.S. says it is ready to bring in military resources to make sure Pelosi safely gets in and out of Taiwan if she goes there. Now, Pelosi is leading an official congressional delegation to Asia starting today. Two sources are telling NBC News that it is unclear if a final decision has been made on Taiwan. One of those same sources tells NBC that they looked at the itinerary on Thursday. Taiwan was listed as tentative. The trip will include visits, however, confirmed to Japan, South Korea, Malaysia, and Singapore. Now, back to that phone call between Biden and the Chinese leader Xi. Biden reportedly told Xi that U.S. policy on Taiwan has not changed and that Washington strongly opposes any unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability. Translate that, China, don't mess around with Taiwan. Remember, the U.S. has a unique policy here. We have this sort of middle ground. Our policy is called One China, and since the late 70s, the U.S. recognizes China as the Government of Taiwan, but we say they don't have territorial sovereignty over Taiwan. Remember, Taiwan has an independently elected democratic government. They've had that for decades. And so the U.S. plays some middle ground here where they say there's only one China, but you guys don't actually control the territory of Taiwan. It's a really unique situation. It was a compromise that came out of the 1970s opening of ties when President Nixon and China opened up relations. The concern in recent months is that China has stepped up military activity. Uh, Taiwan is about 100 miles off the Chinese coast. Taiwanese leaders have expressed fears that China might do the same thing to them that Russia did to Ukraine, and they were worried that China has been watching what's happening over in Ukraine and saying, hey, maybe we'll do the same thing. A senior U.S. official who briefed the media following that Thursday conversation with Biden and Xi says the two leaders did discuss the possibility of holding a face-to-face meeting. It would be their first in the coming months. Remember, U.S. and China are the world's two largest economies. They need to maintain cooperation on major economic policies, global supply chain, and safeguarding the global food and energy supply. In that phone call, a White House official says Biden stressed the importance of maintaining open lines of communication on Taiwan and all those other subject areas. Now to those hotly debated changes to the Instagram feed. It's been lighting up the social media world. I've been hearing from a number of you in the Mo News community, especially many of you who follow me over on Instagram over at at @mosha at M-O-S-H-E-H. Late Thursday, we learned the head of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, says he has heard your complaints and they are officially retreating on some of the changes they plan to make. Some of you may have gotten a test version of the app that opened to full screen photos and videos. That will now be phased out over the next couple of weeks. Instagram will also reduce the number of recommended posts in your algorithm. The move and the announcement on Thursday comes after blistering criticism from everyone, from one follower to some of the most popular accounts on the Instagram platform, including several of the Kardashians. The complaint was, keep Instagram like Instagram, stop trying to mimic what's happening over on TikTok. The head of Instagram, Adam Maseri, tells tech reporter Casey Newton that, quote, I'm glad we took a risk. If we're not failing every once in a while, we're not thinking big enough or bold enough, but we definitely need to take a step back and regroup. When we've learned a lot, then we come back with some sort of new idea or iteration, and we're going to work through that. The changes were designed to help Instagram better compete with TikTok and navigate the larger shift in user behavior towards video and away from static photos. Misery added that, quote, people are frustrated and the usage data isn't great. So we're going to take a step back and regroup and figure out how we want to move forward. But not so fast. All you critics who want Instagram to stay this way forever, Misery says the retreat is not permanent. Threats to Instagram and the larger meta Facebook family's dominance continue to mount. Remember that TikTok is now the most downloaded app in the world, the most popular website, and the most watched video company. And Instagram is desperate to compete with that. They say that content related to friends and family, which brought us all to places like Facebook and Instagram to begin with, has now gone into the DMs, into those messages and into stories. So they're going to continue to look at ways to sort of mimic TikTok and elevate more content from other sources into your regular feed. So we're all going to have to stay tuned on this one. So many of you, you've won the battle, but it appears that Instagram says you have not won the war. Stay tuned. Okay, now let's get to our speed read where we do a quick roundup of headlines from around the world. Residents in Kentucky and across the Appalachian Mountains are bracing for another day of flash flooding as the region experiences record rainfalls. You may have seen some of the videos and photos in uh, my Instagram feed. Some areas have seen close to 10 inches of rainfall in just 24 hours. As of a briefing by the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, Thursday night, at least eight people have died from the flooding in eastern Kentucky. And unfortunately, they expect the number to go up. The governor says it could be one of the most significant deadly floods that the area has ever experienced. The rain has overwhelmed creeks, streams, and ground already saturated from previous rain, according to the National Weather Service. There have been hundreds of rescues. Some water came in so quick, residents were forced to climb onto their roofs to await rescue. First responders and neighbors are using everything from boats to kayaks to jet skis even to save fellow Kentuckians. West Virginia and Tennessee are sending aircraft with hoisting capabilities to assist with the flooding. And by the way, Kentucky's not alone. The area around St. Louis, Missouri, has also seen some extreme flooding in recent days. We've been talking about this all summer as we've seen some of this extreme weather. Scientists say that human-caused climate change is worsening some of these events. The basic explanation is that warmer air holds more water, which means more dangerous flooding when it rains. So the issue is not necessarily that we'll get rain all the time, but that when it rains, it'll be more intense and more extreme. We've already seen some evidence of this with monsoons in Southeast Asia, and we have seen more intense hurricanes, tropical storms, cyclones. Remember what Houston had to deal with a few years ago. I've heard from dozens of you in the Mo News community who said friends and neighbors have lost cars and homes in Kentucky. We're all praying uh, for recovery soon. There is relief in sight. Drier weather should come to the region starting on Saturday. All right, let's get to a couple business headlines here. Apple on Thursday reported almost an 11% decline in profit for the quarter that just ended in June. The company experienced supply constraints and shutdowns in China, but reported that iPhone sales continue to grow despite all those challenges. Apparently, people just can't get enough of the iPhones. I'm sure that includes a number of you. They sold nearly $41 billion worth of iPhones in just the last three months. So those better than expected results for Apple followed a pattern of other tech companies that have posted a drop in profits, but have managed to convince investors of their strength during these uncertain economic times. Microsoft and Google both reported their earnings earlier this week. Looking ahead here, Apple is widely expected. You know, they try to keep this secret, but things leak out. They're expected to launch their iPhone 14 line later this fall, along with the Apple Watch Series 8. We're still waiting. Details on what features could be included in there and what else they'll take out of the box. I guess we don't get a power cord anyway anymore either on the iPhone. So, iPhone 14 coming to you this fall, reportedly. Meanwhile, JetBlue on Thursday announced it will purchase Spirit Airlines, a combination that'll create America's fifth largest airline. The announcement comes a day after Spirit pulled the plug on its detailed to merge with Frontier. Remember earlier this summer, we were thinking and seeing that Spirit and Frontier would merge. Uh, Spirit looks like they found a better deal uh, selling themselves to JetBlue. For those curious about the numbers, as we talk about creating the fifth largest headline, here are the top four. American Airlines is the largest airline in the U.S., Delta and Southwest are essentially tied for second, and United Airlines is the third largest airline in the country. But back to the merger for a second, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said the deal will be fruitful for investors and passengers, promising a, quote, Unique blend of low fares and exceptional service to more customers on more routes. Some industry experts have said the deal could actually lead to higher fares for the rest of us. Remember, Spirit flying the same route as the bigger airlines typically actually forces those bigger airlines to offer more planes and seats, which lower cost to flyers. The issue here is if the JetBlue eats up Spirit, JetBlue charges more than Spirit. So some experts are skeptical if this is a win for consumers. For that reason and others, it is possible that the JetBlue deal for Spirit could face a lot of scrutiny on the antitrust front from the U.S. Department of Justice. Remember, the uh, U.S. government has to review major mergers like this to ensure that acquisitions are not harmful to consumers. And a quick reminder that just in the last 20 years, we have seen a number of airline mergers all go through It has turned the 10 largest U.S. airlines into effectively those four mega carriers that now control 80% of U.S. air traffic. You can pour one out for Continental, U.S. Airways, and Northwest Airlines, all gone in just the past 15 years. Let's stay with air travel for a second. We have been telling you relief would come to those who wait to take their vacations after the summer, and we're starting to see evidence of that. The average airfare for a round-trip domestic flight this fall is now $298, according to data from the travel booking app Hopper. That's down from May when average fares exceeded $400. Overall, domestic flights are now 26% cheaper this fall compared with peak cost this summer. Normally, prices, by the way, uh, are about 10 to 15% less in the fall. They are going to be 26% cheaper this fall from the summer. Okay, that was the good news. There is bad news though. The average cost to fly domestically still remains 19% higher this fall than it was during those same time period in 2019. That is also according to Hopper. They say travelers also should not expect the number of flight options to grow that significantly this fall. So we got some good news and bad news on that front. Some interesting news when it comes to politics. For those of you seeking an alternative to Democrats and Republicans, your wish has been granted, it appears. Dozens of former Republican and Democratic officials have gotten together and they announced this week a new national political third party. They hope it appeals to the millions of voters who are dismayed with what they feel is a broken system. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. The new party appears to come out of the center, has slightly more Republicans than Democrats in it. They are calling it the Forward Party. It will initially be co-chaired by former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang and Christy Todd Whitman, the former Republican governor of New Jersey. The two of them and all of those who are organizing it hope the party will become a viable third alternative for voters. Now, so far, we don't have many details on the specific platform, which they say they will decide over time. They only very vaguely say the forward party will stand for reinvigorating a fair, flourishing economy and will give Americans more choices and a say in their future. We will see what they eventually stand for, but we might learn more this fall. Party leaders will be holding a series in two dozen American cities to roll out their platform and have an official launch event in Houston on September 24th. They actually hope to be on the ballot in all 50 states in time for the 2024 presidential election and will be holding a convention of their own in a major U.S. city next summer. What's notable about 2024 is we could actually see a repeat of Biden versus Trump if those two parties nominate them again. So this is their hope over in the forward party that they will attract an audience of American voters looking for a viable third alternative. Now, if you've been reading some of the commentary in recent days, Democrats, a number of them are worried that if this party becomes legit, it could take away votes from them in a similar way that Ralph Nader did to Al Gore in 2000, allowing George W. Bush to sneak in. See, that's the track record for a lot of these third parties. None of them in the modern era have really gained enough votes to win an election, but they have impacted things. You had John Anderson in 1980, Ross Perot in 92 and 96, notably George H.W. Bush actually blamed for a while his loss in 92, and the fact that Clinton got through on Ross Perot taking nearly 20% of the vote. So it remains to be seen whether this third party can hold up and create a lasting movement in a way that these other third party candidates have not been able to in recent decades. Now some quick health news. It's a warning to smokers and vapors. A new study finds that they are more likely to have a severe case of COVID-19 or die of the disease. The study was published on the scientific journal PLOS One and looked at data from the American Heart Association. People who reported use of tobacco products prior to their hospitalization were 39% more likely to be put on a ventilator versus non-smokers, and they were 45% more likely to die. The study looked at 4,000 people over the age of 18 who were hospitalized for COVID between January 2020 and March 2021. So what's notable here when you look at these studies is first look at the dates. And what is interesting there is that most of this data comes before the vaccine was widely available and during those earlier strains of COVID that really impacted the lungs. We will see if they follow up here and continue to look at data over the last 18 months. I will add that the people who did the worst in this study were smokers who also had underlying conditions like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and chronic kidney disease. And one music headline as we head into the weekend, it appears the team around Bruce Springsteen, the boss, is defending those record high ticket prices for his 2023 tour. Now, some of these ticket prices have shocked fans in recent weeks, and they've been getting a lot of incoming. Well, Bruce's manager tells the New York Times that, quote, regardless of the commentary about a modest number of tickets costing $1,000 or more, our true average ticket price has been in the mid $200 range, and we believe that is a fair price. He also adds that we are talking about one of the, quote, greatest artists of his generation. Fans have been stunned by the boss's tour prices as some seats skyrocketed to $4,000, due to Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing program. Now, this is the program which raises prices based on demand. We still haven't heard from Springsteen himself on all of the backlash from fans on these ticket prices, but his guitarist, Stevie Van Sant, has responded on Twitter, sort of. He wrote on his Twitter account, and this is a quote, I have nothing whatsoever to do with the price of tickets. Nothing, nada, niente, bupkis. Now, one way you might be able to afford one of those tickets is a big lotto win. A friendly reminder that the record Mega Millions drawing is tonight. The jackpot is now over a billion dollars. It's one of the largest jackpots in American history. So good luck out there if you want to take the jump and buy one of those tickets. I hope that if one of you wins, you will take me to the uh, Springsteen Show next year with you. Now to a weekly Friday edition of our Cheers to the Freakin' Weekend segment. It's a look at what we're watching, reading, eating, and this weekend listening to. First up, uh, what I'm watching this weekend, my wife and I, Alex, uh, will probably be finishing up Gray Man. That's the spy thriller over on Netflix. Also a reminder to Shark Week fans that this is the final weekend of Shark Week over on Discovery. Now to what I'm reading this weekend, you know, I I tend to read things on the more serious side. USA Today has launched a new series on the U.S. obesity epidemic, and there's some fascinating research. I'll include a link in the show notes. So far, what I'm reading is that while obesity obviously still involves personal choices when it comes to food and exercise, science is showing how much genes and biology have an impact. It's more than once thought, and I look forward to reading more in this series as uh, it comes out over the coming weeks. And finally, to what I'm eating this weekend, I teased at the top of the show, but it is National Chicken Wing Day. So we're taking a look at some of the uh, discounts out there and and getting a bit of my chicken wing fix this weekend. And looking ahead, I, I love all these days. Apparently, every day is some food day. Sunday, for all of you avocado fans, is National Avocado Days. Break out the avocado toast and the guacamole. Millennials, and I don't know if you Gen Zers are also known for the avocado toast, but treat yourself. And a little bonus cheers to the friggin' weekend. We will talk about what we're listening to this weekend. If you don't know already, but I'm sure the Beehive knows, Beyonce's new album was officially released overnight. The album is called Renaissance. So we'll have to take a listen to see what she has in store for us. Thank you to everyone who is listening to uh, our Friday edition of now the Daily Mo News podcast. We went daily this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed. We'd love to hear your feedback on how we're doing, how I'm doing, how we can continue to better serve you. Email us, podcast at mo.news. I've been getting some great notes this week, and I love to hear from all of you. A reminder also to subscribe to our newsletter, the Mo News newsletter. It is available at monews.bulletin.com. And of course, if you don't already, follow us on Instagram over at my at at Mosheh account. And don't forget to follow us, subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on, and review us in the App Store. Every single one makes a huge difference. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll see you back on Monday.